0: Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter.
1: Joined as always by the Tonto to my Lone Ranger, Brandon. It's funny because I know there was a recent movie about that, and I still haven't seen anything anything Lone Ranger. Well, I'm in, and I'm into Westerns too, so <laughs> that's hilarious.
0: First of all, it's like uh probably culturally inappropriate now. Uh I'm guessing. Some people have a take offense at Tonto, but Tonto was pretty kick ass. And the reason I went with that, Brandon, is because you know, uh, those guys shot guns,
1: and you and I shot guns just a couple days ago. We did shoot some guns a couple days ago. Yeah, it was fun, had a good time. If anybody follows the
0: uh, talk, North, either me on Instagram or talk north on Instagram, you saw some uh, footage that I, I think went pretty viral, Brandon. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> pretty viral <laughs> of you shooting clay targets. And uh, I know when I was shooting the video, uh, you hit at least one of those two
1: clays. Yeah, we I don't, appreciate you catch, capturing me at least hitting one because there was very few that I hit. So <laughs> thank you for getting that. You know, shooting, shooting a moving target is not easy.
0: And I tell people that all the time who are just getting into shotgunning or getting into, you know, upland bird hunting or whatever. It's not easy to hit something that's on the move.
1: No, no, it's not easy when you have very little experience with a gun too. But yeah. I, I I was decent at targets. I remember a couple of years back when we first did it. But uh, no, it was, it's really cool. I had to learn a whole new method of like not focusing so much.
0: Right. Yeah. We were kind of coaching you on that. Uh, My buddy, Steve Scherner, who lives up there by the cabin and hunts with me quite a bit. Um, He and I were probably giving you too much coaching, but it's interesting. The more I, you know, shotgun and it's, it's really, I mean, it is shooting a gun, but it is so dissimilar to shooting a rifle or a pistol uh, it, it's almost like it should be considered a totally different kind of endeavor than those things because to shoot a rifle is aiming, holding steady, uh, you know, trying to uh, uh, get your sights over the target or look through the scope at the target. The farther away it is, the harder it is to shoot because, you know, every little breath or shake in your hand pulls the bullet off and the and, and the farther the bullet flies, the, the more it gets off target. Shotgunning is so, so different. As I was explaining to you, it's more of an athletic. It's more like hitting a ball. It's more like hitting a tennis ball or a baseball or a golf ball. It's about swing. It's about hand-to-eye coordination. It's really just really, really different than shooting a rifle.
1: Yeah, no, it's actually the one that I hit that he got on a video was right after you gave me that instruction where you're like, you got to follow through, kind of like it's baseball, and that mm-hmm. made more sense to me because I was just doing the whole bit where I was kind of pointing than shooting, and uh, obviously I was missing. I was either behind or on top or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah, that was good advice. Yeah. That's good, good,
0: man. Well, good. I, I, uh, and and I sent that. I, I informed both of our buddies from the flush. <laughs> Scott and Travis, who, you know, you've gone out with me hunting now twice for pheasants. And we have yet, I think all we saw was like a pheasant crossing the road. Yeah, pretty
1: much. Which is kind of like a bad joke. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's (laughs) a punchline in there somewhere.
0: The third time's a charm, buddy. We're going to get Scott and Travis to take you and me out somewhere where we actually can see and
1: shoot pheasants. I'm I'm all for that. I would we'll do. That'd be, it. be that'd be really cool. I I don't know if I'd be any better of a shot than I was with the clays, but at least I'd get to see some birds.
0: Yeah, we'll get you out.
1: We'll get you out. So it's good to have practice. Maybe we can get you up there again for
0: practice. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, speaking of shooting, the guy who taught me to shoot birds is the guest this week. Doug Whitney mentored me. I I I could spend the next hour. In an intro, trying to describe what Doug means to me, uh, how much he taught me about hunting. Uh, I would not be hunting if it were not for Doug. He took me out when I was a, a youth pastor. Um, I've written quite a uh, bit about this, not not in anything that has yet been published, but someday it probably will be, about how Doug uh, was part of saving me from a very difficult time in my life. Uh, by taking me out into the woods and teaching me skills of hunting. And you'll hear us talk about going deep into the lake of the woods, a very remote type of duck hunting. I mean, it was really, you, you'd you call it trial by fire or getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. I mean, these are the kind of metaphors. Um, Doug and I struggle for a couple other metaphors. It's, it's just so it's 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 really um, a very, very intense form of hunting and a quite a way to be introduced to it. And to be frank, I I was totally hooked on hunting based on those early duck hunting experiences with him. And then he also took me out to um, South Dakota and introduced me to the guys with whom I now pheasant hunt multiple times a year. Uh, so, yeah, Doug. A lot of us who hunt have a hunting mentor. A lot of people, it's their probably their dad or their grandpa. For me, I didn't have that. I had Doug. He's he's my hunting dad, you know, and uh, I'm so, so glad that he came on the podcast.
1: I think this is a really good episode to listen to either A, if you're thinking about getting into hunting, B, if you know somebody that's thinking about getting into hunting, or C, if you're thinking about getting somebody into hunting. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a really good all around to listen for people. Thanks. Well, I, I hope people love it and I don't really
0: care because I'm just, <laughs> I love it. I'm going to listen back to it because uh, just the memories that Doug and I share about those early hunts. Um, hey, Brandon, this season, you can enter to win a hunting trip for two at Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you find premium 12 and 24 pack cans of grain belt and their limited edition premium hunting season pack. For more information, visit www.grainbelt.com slash hunting dash trip. Enter to win that uh, hunting trip for two at Brown's Lodge. Pick up a case of uh, premium hunting season pack grain belt. I know I will. And uh, enjoy it. As you're listening to this interview with my hunting mentor Doug Whitney thanks as always for listening please like share rate and review and we'd love to hear from you on all the socials here's my conversation with Doug Whitney Douglas Whitney welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast what a joy. What a joy to I mean I I'm I, I will have already said all this in the intro that I'll record with Brandon, but you're you're my hunting mentor, man. You I, I hunt because of you. And I, I we're long overdue having this conversation in a recorded fashion. So thank you for coming on.
2: Well, I'm delighted uh that you asked me and uh I'm also completely certain that if you hadn't approached me and asked me to take you hunting you would have found another way to get out there.
0: <laughs> I don't
2: know. I've never met anyone as uh as uh, uh intrepid at learning to hunt and uh, then
0: expanding your wisdom and
2: knowledge and experience than you
0: well thanks and already um, listeners are getting just a just a a modicum of your vocabulary which i hope we'll get a lot of over the course of the next hour or so (laughs) i see
2: you want the Uh, full meal deal huh
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i should get what i paid for let's put it that way uh Doug you're in Naples, Florida currently. Uh but a longtime resident of Minnesota, grew up in Minnesota, grew up hunting and fishing in Minnesota. Um I know that outdoors life was a big part of your youth that um we'll get to we'll get to wits end in your cabin which has just a such a lasting legacy in my life and I only think I think I only went there 3 times. Um, but tell, tell me about growing up, how important that was to you, your dad, brother. Uh, I mean, you guys were outdoors a lot, hunting and fishing.
2: Well, I learned to hunt in Canada on Lake of the Woods from my dad and my grandfather. Um, my first experience uh hunting on my own alone was when i was on a deer hunting trip with my dad and my grandfather um and we were gonna hunt in minnesota except i got sick Hmm. so i had to uh stay home in my grandfather's brother's, my great-uncle Bob's cabin on the Rainy River, about a half a mile from the mouth of the Rainy River. And so I stayed home the first day, sick in bed, but the second day I didn't have a fever. And so I was able to go visit my grandmother who was staying at Jasmy's Resort. And Jesmy's Resort preceded Sportsman's on the bank of the R- Rainy River. Uh, that Sportsman's is now on the property that was Jesmy's, uh at, named after Roy Jesmy. And I told my grandmother that I was bored. <laughs> and she said, well, why don't you take the 14-foot Little fishing boat we have here and go across the river and hunt. And I'd seen my dad, in fact, my dad, I'd ridden with him when he did this a couple of times, and it was like you'd literally cross the rainy river, which was, uh, you know, five, six hundred yards at the most, mm-hmm. and go into this reed bed and throw out some blocks, some decoys, and park the boat, you know, and sit there and wait for ducks to come in. Mm. So I thought that was a great idea.
0: <laughs> um, Back in the day when adults would just give a kid a loaded gun and a boat and say, "Yeah, <laughs> go yeah. for it. Yeah, exactly. So... So off I went, really
2: clueless as to what I was doing, Hmm. but I had my grandfather's black lab. His name was Fritz, uh, and I'd played with him in that same boat for years. Mm -hmm. And so I went over there, um, and I uh, threw out off 14 decoys and then i got the thing going as fast as i could and rammed it into the reed bit
0: Mm -hmm. you
2: know and so there i saw it sat and a bluebill started coming in Mm. this was obviously late october or early november um whenever the minnesota deer opener was and uh I managed to get two bluebills and Fritz retrieved them both and uh, I was able to push the boat out of the, uh, the reed bed, that was the hardest part. And I went back and, you know, there were all these old geezers on the dock and my grandmother and my dad and my grandfather had gotten bu- back from Roe Brown's hunting farm. And, uh, they're all like, you got two. And I'm like, well, yeah. Oh God, <laughs> we didn't think you'd see a duck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because the mallards had all left, mm-hmm. or as far as we knew they had, and they weren't there for, they were just there for deer and. You know, I got lucky that the boobills bills started to come in. So that was my first hunting experience. Alone. And then after that, yeah, uh, we had this cabin on Gooseneck Island. Uh, oh, and by the way, I was hunting in Canada. The other side of the Rainy River, of course, is Ontario.
0: Right, right. What people might not know is the Rainy River is at the, what, the southeastern corner of Lake of the Woods. And it's. Got Baudette, Minnesota on one side, and on the other side of the river's Canada.
2: Well, yeah, that's true, but uh where we were was ten miles out of Baudette, uh, on uh, Wheeler's Point. Mm-hmm. So it was right at the mouth of the river. And uh Uh, That was our base of operations, always, because my great-uncle Bob had this cabin, you know, a quarter-mile upstream from from where Sportsman is today. Yeah.
1: I
0: slept in that that place, yeah.
2: No, actually, you slept on the newer cabin.
0: Ah, okay. This was
2: just a hunting shack
0: at the time. It
2: was about 1,200 square feet, not even that, maybe with a kitchen and a bedroom where all the men slept. And then my great auntie Faith, when she was there, she's sleeping in the kitchen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now this cabin, this cabin, um, uh, the cabin that we then, that you and I hunted at. Well, let yeah. we before we get to that cabin, cause it's quite a, quite a scene, but, um, how you and I met was at church. Um, we you know, we went to the same church and then I was hired on staff of this church, and you had the great misfortune of being on the youth board. I no, was the. No, youth that's pastor not how it happened okay that's, that's not how it happened, Tony.
2: I was on the deacon board. Oh, that's right. That's and how we you first met. Yeah, were you were a seminary student? That's right. In care and at our church, the deacon board kept the seminarians in care, which was a designation that mm-hmm. you know each each seminarian had a uh, a deacon with whom he was uh, paired you know, to walk with him through his seminary experience. Mm -hmm. And you, unbeknownst to me, asked that you be paired with me. Okay. Um, My wife had been your confirmation staff when you went through confirmation in ninth grade. And and, uh, you felt I know that you had a good relationship with her as a young adult, and you know, you were a ninth grader. But
0: anyway. So I thought how, I how bad of home. a guy, how bad of a guy could Jody be married to? And I really had no idea how bad of a yeah. guy Jody could be Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but you learned. <laughs> yeah, but you told me that
2: right. the reason you asked for me was because you wanted to learn how to hunt, and you knew I went hunting a lot true true and uh
0: you know all that uh really appealed to me now, how would I have known as a as a twenty four or twenty five year old seminary student that you were a hunter because I know you are you're a big fella and you wore a cowboy boots and a cowboy hat to church most sundays and I would say most of the uh uh tacit you know the taciturn Norwegians, like my dad, did not wear cowboy boots and cowboy hats to, to church on Sunday morning any din in Edina, Minnesota, but you did. You stood out.
2: Well, you were impetuous. <laughs> and you know, your, your mother um, and your aunts, they were very much at, at the heart. Of the social um, uh, center of the church mm-hmm. and uh, the longtime members of the church were always interested in the younger people. yes. and and you know, your mom knew my wife since my wife was 22 or 23 years old working on the, the staff of our senior minister mm-hmm. and um, you know, the women of that church were such a strong body of believers. You know, they wanted to know who the young couples were and the young people in the church and they'd find out everything they could about them to uh, mentor them in the faith, and yeah. and in the background, they they'd pray for us, mm-hmm. you know. But okay, your mom knew <laughs> <we> everything <laughs> that any of these women knew. Yeah, you yeah. know, and I'm sure that you found out about my interest in hunting. Through your parents.
0: Uh, that's probably and, true.
2: And through yeah. your contacts, because yeah. Yeah. you know, you you were interested in the youth ministry, and my wife was in the youth ministry there for six right. or eight years.
0: So I I went to seminary from ninety to ninety-three, and you would have been my deacon. And I think as I recall, you know, I'd be home for Christmas break, and you and I would go have coffee and you check in on me and then make sure that the church they sent me the check every year because they sent they sent back in those days sent money to seminarians which was also awesome <laughs> at the time and and much needed and then i worked for a couple years um with a mutual friend paul on on the uh, you know indian reservation and stuff and then in 97 is when i came on staff of the church and i still at that point so 97 i'm 29 years old um, and I got ordained and started as the youth pastor at the church. And I still, my only experience hunting had been, uh, at the horse and hunt club, which is a game farm with my uncle with released birds and a very kind of almost artificial environment for hunting. Well, so I, I'm just, down. yeah, I'm, so I'm just, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm setting up and I'm trying to think of a, an analogy Because then you're on the youth board, uh, um, which is like the board of of adults and parents and lay people who help out the youth pastor, and you invite me hunting. And to go from this canned hunting experience at the Horse and Hunt Club (laughs) to duck hunting in Lake of the Woods is like going from riding a tricycle to driving a Ferrari with nothing in between. Or, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can come up with a better analogy for that. It would be like maybe like uh, coming out of law school and the next.
2: More like going from 50th and France to the fourth easement in Paris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Without or, without without adult supervision. Yeah, or or
0: graduating <laughs> from law school and having to make an argument in front of the Supreme Court the next day. Or yeah. something. It's well, just it was yeah. Uh, it, it it it's it's like on in one you drive 45 minutes, get out of your car, walk around in a field and shoot some birds that have been planted. And in the other you drive how many hours did we drive to get to Bud at six?
2: Well, it was be... It dependent on who was driving. If I was driving, we'd get there in five, five and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we got stopped for speeding. But, uh, yeah, it's five and a half hours to Badet, and then... Um,
0: An hour know, to load all the gear. one?: uh, Well, sorry, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. And,
1: I was and
2: going- then it's another... You know, 20 minutes out onto Wheeler's Point to get to uh, uh, my cousin Miles' place. He inherited from his dad, uh, Bob Whitney. Um, and and then we'd spend, depending upon whether we could get across the lake, on uh, that day or we had to spend the night. But it would take about an hour to load the boat. Yep a 27-foot sport craft. And uh, then it would take, depending upon weather, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half to cross the uh, a large part of the southern half of Lake of the Woods and cross the border to Gooseneck Island. And so let's just to, say we'd have to
0: Go we'd on. have to run into Canada to get remote border crossing permits and permits to carry firearms across the across the border. Plus, buy our Canadian hunting licenses because you couldn't do that's it online right. back in those days. No, that's right.
2: Um, yeah, and that would eat up another hour or two hours, easy. So. Yeah. I, I think we probably drove up one day and then crossed the lake the next which was good because you never really wanted to start out uh to cross the lake an hour before dark because you know if something happened if you had trouble with the boat or the wind came up you know there's there's a lot of rock reefs <laughs> between the mouth of the rainy river and uh and uh my cabin
0: yeah what people probably a lot of people don't know about lake of the woods other than that it's a massive massive body of water is that it's basically a flooded swamp i mean it's a dam it's a lake created by a dam it's it's a rather shallow lake which blew my mind because more than once we would hit rocks and and sometimes uh wasn't there a shortcut to get to your cabin and you would make me climb out on the bow of the boat and look for rocks. Which,
2: Well, <laughs> um, yes, the southern half of Lake of the Woods is uh, pretty shallow. It's about the depth, I think, of, it's, it's no more than 50 feet deep. And it's a huge area. It's, you know, uh, maybe six eight hundred square miles just, just the southern half. And the northern half is is like a different lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all spring fed and uh there are much deeper spots. Um there there is a shortcut that would take us through primarily weed beds.
0: I remember. And I don't
2: ever remember you having to get out on the bow of the sport craft. Uh, But uh, it was sometimes difficult to find a little inlet to go through these weed beds. And, you know, that would save us 10 minutes. (laughs) And uh, uh, if the wind was blowing for the north, we'd be in the lee longer uh, for the last Four miles of the trip, but um, uh, so yeah, the the you you went through a real to to uh, uh, to quote Calvin from Calvin and and Hobbes, you go through a real transmorgification. <laughs> <laughs> from from loading up your stuff in Edina yeah, and uh getting up to uh, the uh cabin uh on the east side of Bigsby Island which is uh um where my cabin was on gooseneck island now and yeah many different you know moving gear loading stuff up uh, spending a night in a transitory uh, lodging, and then getting up
0: to the island. Yeah, uh, you know, back in those days, I you you I think had a bag phone along oh, yeah. that could maybe, if you you know, if the wind was blowing in the right direction and you held it at arm's length out the front door, maybe you could get a signal and make a phone call. But it wasn't like we had cell phones. You didn't. Um, when I first started going up with you, you did not have a GPS. You were, it was, it was basically maps and your memory. Um, guiding and a handheld,
2: us. Compass. The hand-held and a hand, compass. And a handheld the compass.
0: compass. And we, you know, we, um, so we're, we're out of contact with other people and we were traveling. Well, 50% of the time, Doug, we were traveling in the dark in a duck boat because we would leave at what four in the morning. This is, you know, the Ontario yeah. duck opener is oh, September 100. is 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 September tenth, so it still is getting light, you know, at six a.m. and we're in the duck boat at four.
2: We were we were we were out way before sunrise.
0: Yeah, and dry because it's an hour on the duck boat to get to one of your well, favorite no, hunting just, spots. What what Tony? When we go up.
2: For the opener, okay, we'd go to a bay that was five miles from the dock Mm. up into uh, Dawson Bay on Bigsby Island. And that's only a 15, 20-minute boat ride. Um, Except, no, I guess we went to a different place the first morning.
0: We went, to but Dawson. it still wasn't.
2: It still wasn't the long stretch that we'd go in the evenings, and uh, yeah, we'd get up at four a.m. Well, sometimes we couldn't even sleep. We'd be so excited about going yeah. hunting, yeah, about the opener, and the dog would be so keyed up. But, you know, we always had at least. One
0: black lab with you us. had two when I hunted with you. You had Dallas and Dalton when when you and I were going up there. Yeah, oh, two dogs yeah, and yeah. That I, I so want to great. I want to get to that. I want to get to that. But just to also paint the picture, so then we'd, you know, we'd hunt and I have these memories of like we'd we'd set up and this same deal where we'd put out decoys. Now look, I'm a total neophyte. I know absolutely nothing. You have to tell me everything. You have to tell me where to put a decoy out. You have to tell me when to load my gun. You have to tell me where to sit in the boat like i nothing was com no, nothing was intuitive for me because I didn't grow up hunting I, nothing was natural you You really had to tell me every single little thing which must have been terribly annoying <laughs> to have to teach me while while we're while we're doing this, but I have these memories of like we'd set out all the decoys in the dark by these spotlights that were hooked up to car batteries in the bottom of the boat. And then uh, once the decoys were out, then we would do the same thing of ram the, the duck boat up onto a bog, which would give it some stability and give us some camo. And we would kind of pull the reeds over the boat and throw out some netting and stuff like that. And then we would sit and here's one of the memories I have. Doug is, then sitting in the dark and you can hear this i'll try to make this noise but it's like shh and ducks are landing in the dark in our decoys and the 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 my the way my heart i mean just thinking back on it now the my heart rate the way it would go up cuz you could hear these ducks landing and you're like what is this going to be like and you're you know looking at your watch waiting for legal shooting time when we know we're going to have a blast i mean literally we're going to each you know unload our three rounds on whatever ducks have landed there in our in the decoys but that just that anticipation was intense and a part of the adrenaline rush of hunting for me was that is that that moment well First of all, there
2: was, the only thing annoying about taking you hunting was listening to you at the dinner table contradict me <laughs> about matters of politics or religion. <laughs> okay? <laughs> <laughs> and we had some mammoth
0: arguments. Yes, we did.
2: But not on the first time. Uh, because you were afraid that you were going to piss me off. And <laughs> and uh, you've pissed me off many times since then, but not on the first trip. And uh, uh, you were so focused on gleaning just every bit of knowledge and experience from this that we did together and and you were patient enough and this is the only time I can ever remember thinking of you as patient (laughs) uh, to just watch as I said Tony just let me do everything Hmm. to get set up uh, in the blind uh, and I showed you, and it was Mm -hmm. easy because the hardest part, you know, was picking where we were going to set up, but I'd been going to the same place on opening morning for years. And it's the only time I ever went to that place. Um, And the hardest part there was getting the, the boat out of the, open water it really wasn't open water. It was very deeply, uh, uh, recessed into this, uh, uh large bay, mm-hmm. uh, drainage bay from this, uh, the largest island on Lake of the woods, you know, and we're just, we'd go through, you know, 10 minutes or five or 10 minutes at, pretty good speed, you know, of all, uh, all the, the, the weeds and bulrushes and, and swamp growth back into this deep corner. Uh, and, and then we'd stop and I'd place the decoys, you know, and you'd always had to leave a space for the ducks to land. And, you know, uh, put the decoys in sort of a pattern where they could come in and land amongst the decoys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hardest part was getting that dang boat, you know, <laughs> with a 25 horse motor on it, 14 foot boat, 25 horse motor.
0: And a backup motor and a backup outboard motor also.
2: I'm not sure we did that the yes. first couple of years. Maybe not, okay, but I rem- we're, yeah, we're maybe not the yeah, first at, at first. And, and a, and a, uh nine horse or 9 9.9 or 7 uh, and pull that boat into the weeds and then you know put burlap bags around the uh, gunnels and on the on the uh, deck of the boat so that you know they wouldn't see this metal deck as they flew over mhm and sometimes we were more successful at that and sometimes less. So we'd get yeah. in there with yeah. the decoys all set. Uh, and we'd just wait. And yeah, you could, you'd hear them whistling. That's right. The the, the wind uh, over their wings, just that whistle. And sometimes, you know, it was uh it was a, you know, yeah, and you'd know they were there. You couldn't but, see them. You didn't know exactly where, but you know they were present. And yeah, on opening morning, we'd wait for we'd. I, I'd watch the clock. Yeah. Uh, other mornings later in the season, <laughs> not so much until we decided it just wasn't worth going out in the morning.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah
2: because they'd been they'd been hunted, uh these were local ducks, and they'd been hunted in the morning, and you know we'd have better luck
0: at night, so we just and we get were up tired yeah but i I will say there's in in all of my life i mean in all of hunting, but maybe in all of my life, there is nothing quite like that just like how you just said it. You knew they were there, but you didn't know you could not see them because it's still dark out. And the and the and the sound a a flying duck and then a landing duck makes, it's a very subtle sound, but holy smokes. I mean, if it was a still morning with the no wind, you could really hear them flying around. You could fly hear them from a ways off. And that was such an intense experience. I have a couple other memories. I have a very vivid memory of this is later in the morning or maybe in the evening. So it's lighter out and uh, we're all set up and we're sitting in this boat. And like you said, the burlap bags and we've kind of pulled reeds over us a little bit, kind of broken them over the gunnels of the boat to break up the pattern. Can I
2: interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways
0: that you knew that
2: ducks were nearby is if you just watch the head of the dogs. Ah, yeah. And, you know, labradors have uh, very expressive uh, heads. Mm -hmm. And when they would hear birds, their ears would, like, perk up. And, of course, their ears are just incredibly floppy. They, they don't stand up like a German Shepherds or many other dogs. But, you know, the shape of their head would change as their ears would just get as intensely focused as possible. And you could just tell something was going on out there. Uh, of course, when it was dark. You know, they were black. You couldn't see that very well. (laughs) Right, right. That that was one of the telltales that I just always enjoyed so much. Yeah. When you couldn't see the birds, but you could see the dogs become animated. Mm
0: -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
2: sorry
0: i interrupted no no it's that's good and and i'm gonna circle back to dogs in a second here but i have these i have some memories one of them i'll just share two i've so so many very vivid memories of these duck hunts with you but um one was at in one of these bays and duck ducks are flying over this is now it's light out you know and we're we're you're blowing on a duck call. You've long ago told me just to put my duck calls away. You would do all the calling because my duck calling was not helping. Um, I think another reason you liked having me on these hunts uh, back then is I was a terrible shot, so it meant you got to basically shoot a double limit every day because all the ducks I would miss. But I I just remember one time you saying to me, um, "Oh, there's here. You know, here's there's some ducks coming. You know, there's a group of ducks at eleven o'clock." And I, I was to put my head down so my camo hat would kind of cover my face. And you, you know, you're like, don't move, don't move. And I, I remember thinking, well, I could just sneak a little look. I could just turn my head just a few degrees and look up out of the corner of my eyes because I want to see these ducks coming in. And of course, I did that. They see the white of my face and they turn and go- they're gone. And you're like, God damn it. I told you, don't move. And you moved <laughs> like when I say don't move, I really mean don't move. And now subsequently I have been in duck blinds with n- newbie hunters and have said, you, you have no idea how a duck on the wing gets spooked by it movement down below when they're there. And, and as, and if you're on Lake of the woods, there's, there are literally a million places for that, those ducks to land. and they don't have to land in your decoys or they don't have to land in SEMO Bay. You know, they can fly for another five minutes and have 150 more little spots. They can land safely. So any little movement is going to spook them. And I, I saw so this vivid memory of like you telling me not to move me thinking, Oh, I can move a little and nope, nope. I can't move at all. And I, I hopefully learned my lesson after that one.
2: Well, uh- I remember that, and what I remember thinking of was that, yeah, he moved. Everybody makes that mistake, uh-huh. but I, I still had to bite your head off <laughs> to to impress you that uh,
0: that it makes a difference. It's like <clears throat> it's like the great South Dakota pheasant hunting lesson you taught me, which was don't slam the truck door. Yeah. You know, don't, don't slam yeah, the it, truck door that that's just a weird noise to a pheasant that in a field, a CRP, a slamming door there. That's not a noise they hear. So it's going to spook them.
2: Well, and it also sends, uh, uh, com- I mean, when you do, when you slam a door, when you're hunting in the field, uh, that noise carries because of the compression. Yeah. You know, it, it actually carries more than uh your voice. Um, but anyway, that's yeah, you learn now, those things as you go along.
0: There's there's one more story. I mean, there's like I say, so many stories, but there's one more story just because we've talked about Getting these boats up on these bogs, you know, and I remember. Oh no! Uh, yeah, uh, you know,
1: know, know where I'm
0: going with this story because you would have these two push poles, one for each of us, in the duck boat, and we would use these push poles. They have these kind of duck feet on the bottom of them, and you use them to push yourselves on or off of bogs or whatever when you can't use the motor. Well, I don't know the end of the 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 end of the hunt, or more likely, you are like we have to move. We're in the wrong spot. We have we have to move the boat, pick up all the decoys. We have to do it fast. We have to move to a different place by sunset. And we'd move about 60 yards. Yeah, of course. Pick up all the decoys. Okay. But um, I'm pushing, pushing with push pole, pushing, pushing, pushing. And all of a sudden I hear a huge splash behind me. And I turn around and you are naked as the day you were born over the side of the boat. Uh, standing, you know, ass deep in mucky bog.
2: Bog more than
0: ass <laughs> deep. Pushing with all your might to get the boat off the bog so that we could pick up the decoys and move 60 yards. <laughs> and I <I'm>, thought, <laughs> holy smokes, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. And then you, you know, you get us off the bog and kind of roll over the gunnel into the boat. Oh, it was uh, a sight that I've tried through many years of therapy to erase from my memory and I can't quite seem to do it <laughs> well I don't know why you looked frankly I, I think I told <laughs> well, you I heard I the splash know, I didn't know if uh, I had to save you or what was going on back there well um, yeah. that was in September
2: Yes, that was, that was an opening weekend and uh, you know Lake of the Woods warms up later than most Minnesota lakes but it stays warm uh, well into October, or but oftentimes it had.
0: Also, the mosquitoes had not yet died off. So let's just say that. You were, you were exposing all parts of yourself to Canada's most vicious predator, the mosquito. Yeah, but, but they don't dive, okay? So <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, it was a limited amount of exposure, and I get right back into my clothes yeah. Uh you know, I <clears throat> I don't think I'd have done it if I was wearing uh chest waders, but you know, I was just wearing hip waders. Yeah. Uh and I wasn't gonna get cold if I had wet feet and a wet butt, so it was just a no-brainer. Yeah, this is the quickest and easiest way. To- <laughs> to get this done. Uh, and a, I, think, I think we had good hunting when we got on the right bog.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we did. Um, I want to talk about dogs for a minute. I love, I love dogs. I love my lab. I'm a lab guy um, and like you. You taught me that. I mean, I grew up with a lab, but not a hunting lab, just a mutt. You know, oh, I part, thought
2: you had golden retrievers when you heart lab.
0: That's what my parents subsequently had. Oh. But growing up, we had a yellow kind of lab, not a not a purebred by any means. Probably um, a
2: cross between a golden retriever and a lab. Yeah, maybe. And I've seen some of those be very good hunting dogs.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Nick could have been, but he never did hunt. But you know, I think that I don't know exactly how to say it. I know a lot of people love dogs and I don't want to overstate the case here, but I will say rarely have I met someone who loves dogs as much as you or you, you and Jody, but your love for your dogs and your work, you train them yourself, which I, I embrace in my own life. I have never used a trainer. I train my own dogs because I think the joy of hunting with a dog you've trained yourself is more pure. And frankly, I think the dog is more responsive to you as being the one who trained it. But I wonder if you can just reflect on that love of dogs that you had. And I think you instilled in me as well.
2: Well, um, there is, you know, no greater bond in human existence, I think, than that between um, a man or a woman and their best friend. Um, And, you know, dogs, especially labs, are um, just uniquely, they they develop uniquely to, bond that closely and their handler and their master and, you know, their family, their children um, who don't grow up uh, and uh, they grow old, but they don't grow up. Hmm. So you've always got them, um, At least as long as they can hunt and as long as they can play where they're having the peak experience of their existence, which is interacting with the person that they love the most. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a responsibility but it doesn't feel like a responsibility because it's rewarding. Uh, I've made some big mistakes with uh, training my dogs. And the thing that's great about labs is they, uh, they overlook a lot of your mistakes. Mm -hmm. And if you learn, (laughs) they'll learn. Mm -hmm. So,
0: well, you had, like I say, two two epic dogs, uh, two black labs when we did those Canada hunting trips. And what was so interesting is they were so different. I mean, they were different. They were different physically. They were different temperamentally. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dallas and Dalton were like, Dallas was like a, a a big blockheaded, muscly teenager just rippling with muscle under that short black lab coat. And Dalton was, the, was a smart, more of chill. as th- these are my memories, you knew them a lot better than I, but, uh, like the, the wise older brother, you know?
2: Well, of course we didn't get, um, Dallas until Dalton was six or seven years old and he was a seasoned hunter by then um and yeah Dallas was a a longer taller rangier dog but Dalton was by no means you know he was 75 pounds you know Dallas went Eighty-five. One of them ever got overly heavy. They they both retained uh, their conditioning, you know, late in life. But of course, you know, time comes with those dogs. You know, you can't hunt them anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. uh you know, we had to retire Dalton when he was 10, but he lived for years. He died in my arms mm-hmm. um, for natural causes. Yeah, Dallas, he was a, a more high-energy dog, um, but they were both unstoppable. Yeah. They were great dogs, and they're great memories. Mm -hmm. And they were great in the boat, too. I remember on some of those long hauls back from Simo Bay where uh, they'd snuggle right up to you. Oh, yeah. on 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 each side. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I would sit, instead of sitting on that middle bench of that duck boat, I would usually slide down. And sit on the yeah, wooden you, platform you. that you'd build for the dogs and put the flotation cushion behind my back. And then uh, the dogs, yeah, I'd have one, I'd have a dog head on each leg, wet, you know, of course, wet dogs, very wet dogs on each leg.
2: Yeah, but you were wearing waders.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. at that time I actually didn't own waders. I had. Uh, just rubber boots, and you you taught me to duct tape them the top of my boots to my pants, so I they were kind of ad hoc waiters. They weren't actual waiters. <laughs> I've I've upgraded my gear in every sense since since those days when I hunted so with you. Were you wearing uh, wax cotton pants? I don't think I was even wearing no, that. Honestly, I think I was. I think I was wearing great. jeans. Cam, yeah. Cam? I was wearing camo jeans duct taped to my boot top of my boots Um uh, but i got home i would i'd be pretty wet by the time because plus with you know boy we we I mean, it was camo duct tape
2: it wasn't it yeah wasn't a it shiny. was camo
0: it was camo so colored was duct tape that's true but you know when we often coming back you know we'd be in we'd be have pretty big breakers that you were navigating that duck boat over and some of them would come right over the gunnel and splash on me and you'd be bailing out in the back of the boat as we were driving sometimes you even did this crazy ass thing where you pulled the plug out of the boat while we were in the lake and the boat you know the water would drain out the back but holy smokes did that scare the crap out of me when you did that well i
2: did that all the time <laughs> and yeah, that was.
0: Uh, we'd be up at Simo
2: Bay, and that would be about a 24 uh, mile run from the dock. And uh, it was through lots and lots of uh, uh, narrow channels between islands where, you know, the chop was never too bad but the first 4 to 6 miles and the last 4 to 6 miles were pretty exposed so yeah, yeah. if if you had a north wind you could be in 2 or 3 foot chop and then of course We'd only go about half speed, yeah, and we'd take a lot of spray. So I, I'd, I'd take the plug out for twenty minutes, half an hour, <laughs> you know, just as long as Which you're Which is all fast fine enough. as long
0: as the motor yeah. doesn't die. As long as the it, motor well, yeah, die. but if the motor
2: dies, you can get the plug back in pretty quickly, and you got bigger problems than that if the motor <laughs> dies and you're True. out in that job.
0: But, True, um, although. I will say I can just have this vision of you, you know, right when the motor dies, you drop the plug into the bottom of the boat. God damn it. You're searching, you know, the water's filling. Yeah, well, you can't find it.
2: I, of course, the water was very muddy because, yeah, you know, you're getting in and out of the boat, especially when you are hunting and the dog getting out, you know, it was all Deco- muddy.
0: Yeah, there are yeah. ducks in the yeah. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah.
2: Okay, but that um, never happened. So that was no, a good it, deal. It, and never. and uh you, you know, back to some of those long hauls, some of those yeah. long rides to seamo Bay and back. Um the first year or two, at least the first year you were up there, we did it all by compass.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'd been doing it by compass, you know, since I was 13 or 14 or 15. I don't know when I started doing that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd do it when my, we'd go up on uh, MEA weekend. And my dad and my brother wanted to fish. I didn't want to fish. I wanted to hunt. Yeah. So I'd take this 14-foot boat, which I'd been playing in, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Seven, eight, nine years old, you know, attending to nothing, but seeing that the boat was in uh, good running condition and I had enough damn gas. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that was great. That was like... uh, it was like riding a a, a, a a four-wheeler through the woods without anybody else out there.
0: Mm-hmm. you know
2: you, you just weren't going to see anyone else. That's right. only you were on the water, um, which is a just a very delightful medium to uh, to move through mm-hmm. And so some of those nights when, you know, I was navigating by the compass and checking out the landmarks because, you know, there were just, there were about a couple dozen landmarks, different points sticking out of the north end of Big Island. uh, And then down that uh, Basile Channel, it's spelled Basil, but everybody in the Lake of the Woods called it the Basil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'd be sitting there just looking at the stars. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was no ambient light, right? Anywhere, okay. unless you'd go yeah. by one of those uh, um, solar powered uh, navigation markers. And. Um, <laughs> You were in a different world,
0: uh, Doug. You know, I, I, to, I, I, I tell you, those night boat rides home, like you're saying, no ambient light from anywhere, northern lights, stars, or the moon as bright as you've ever seen it. It, it, yeah. it, it is. It was like being in another world. Yeah, it. it that's right. And I, I would do anything to go back to it. To get Boy, another so hit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh uh so Doug, you know, South Dakota has become such a passion for me, pheasant hunting. Um I think in large part because the guys you introduced me to uh were um well, they there's just access to just I mean it's just unbelievable the access to to this pheasant hunting land and I I don't, I don't have that to duck hunting at this moment. I'd love to get back to some more serious duck hunting like that, but, um, you know, just like the, just like the, uh, the duck hunting, I have very vivid memories of the one time we went pheasant hunting in South Dakota together and all that you taught me, not just don't slam doors, but, uh, you know, the way the way you work the dogs and the way we followed the dogs and the way, you know, to shoot safely and uh, everything about it. It's, it's a, it's become such a big part of my life. So, I mean, I don't really have a question for you other than to say, thank you for introducing me to that, that, that pheasant hunting in South Dakota. It's, it's such a big part of my life.
2: Well, I think the most important thing you learned was to not be afraid to knock on uh, the door of a farmhouse Mm -hmm. and ask for permission to hunt. And all they can do is say no. Now, I've had people say no and cuss me out. (laughs) Uh, And I've had, and, and, you know, I I had one experience where a guy cussed me out, and I said about people that would just go out on his land and and hunt, and I got the opportunity to say, yeah, well, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I instead came to talk to you and look you in the eye, and I can take no for an answer. Yeah, uh, and I started walking away. He says, wait a minute. And he let me out. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you uh, never a lilting lily anyway. Right. Uh, You know, you just learned, oh, yeah, it can't hurt to knock on a door and talk to these people. And, you know, I made some really great friendships doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. And in a couple of cases out in Platte, South Dakota, you know, I became, you know, the uh, the autumn cousin <laughs> that uh-huh. would come, yeah. and they, they, yeah. they'd welcome me with open arms every year, and we'd have a great time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was through doing this that I'd meet more and more hunters, um and you know you build a network
0: yeah well that's yeah that's exactly what i yeah and
2: and after i was unable to hunt anymore you went to a place that i hunted much younger than when you and i started hunting together you went to urine south dakota and you built some great contacts yourself mm-hmm. in a in a really unique way um, yeah and uh, I always admired really your ingenuity
0: uh, in <laughs> well what do I have to barter uh preaching yeah. that's about it so uh, trust me I yeah you know my. Aiden, Aiden, my youngest, is currently uh, they're they're doing a silent auction for the Edina Rugby Club to do a fundraiser, and you know all the other parents, a lot of the other parents can be like, oh, I can donate this from my work, you know, or we'll give you a gift card from my company or from my restaurant or whatever, and I'm like, um, does anybody want prayer? <laughs> I could offer to do someone's funeral. <laughs> I could put that in the silent auction uh, well yeah, yeah wow. i mean i th- I think what wow. i learned i think what I learned from you on that fir- on that trip out to Platte and w- then what carried over into my time in huron was is basically I know amazing pheasant hunting land when I see it, and when i you know, when I when when I meet somebody and they say, Hey, let's go hunt this farm. I know this guy, and, and then you get out there and you're like, Oh, this this is this is golden. Like where we're what we're stepping into right now, this is prime pheasant habitat. The promised land. You, you, you'd
2: go out there with with no expectations and you'd find yourself in the promised land. hmm
0: hmm That's right. Yeah. Um Doug, before we go, you know I, I've known you many, many years now and and all, always known you to be a man of deep faith, and you know that my podcast is about the intersection between the outdoors life and the spiritual life, both of which have been. Part, you know, that's you. You're, you're, the outdoors life has been a big part of your life, and the spiritual life has been as well. So I wonder if you have reflected on the intersection between those two aspects of your life.
2: Oh, sure. Uh, there's no place that I felt closer to God's creation, obviously. Than when I was hunting, hmm. and it, it it was the result of an unexplainable awe that would just envelop me um, on those long boat rides you know yeah after sunset you know under the stars or when the moon was so bright that i didn't even have to look at the compass to go those 24 miles through those probably past 25 islands through 10 channels um, or uh, those those incredible times in South Dakota, you know, just before sunset, and you'd have a brilliant, you know, red yellow sunset and waterfall by the tens of thousands were migrating over you looking for a place to to roost for the night you know and they were coming down lower and lower and you know you just stand there and breathe it all in Mm -hmm. and feel the presence of God Mm -hmm. so You know, and the dogs would be calm. Hmm. And they'd be just sitting there looking up at the waterfowl, too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you were hunting with um, a group of guys, they'd all just chill out. Yeah. And uh, take it all in. Yeah. uh, and, And it was really best hunting with you because we could talk about this.
0: Uh,
2: and, and it was a, it w- it's been a lifetime conversation.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. Uh, talking about our relationship with the creator uh, and our ability to uh, converse with one another, without jealousy or one-upsmanship or uh, any compulsion to be in control hmm. of anything, and uh, you know that that part was part of the great gift of salvation. Through Jesus, hmm. in my view, that's mm-hmm. that's my faith, and uh, and great hunting. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. just the the whole exercise from the, you know, from the f- time you start packing the first bag or um, you put your shotgun in the case and the dog, you know, is all of a sudden right there at your knee, every step you take just through the next three, four, five days, the whole thing uh, would have been unsullied without the presence of other humans. (laughs) But in a lot of cases, the other humans were dialed into the same thing, mm. and it remained unsullied um,
0: what a beautiful What a beautiful benediction for our conversation doug i you know i i couldn't I could not have asked for a better hunting mentor than you, and I thank you not only for caring for me while I was in seminary but even more so for taking me. Well, to your, hallowed, to your hallowed holy place um, of your hunting grounds, both in Canada, on Lake of the Woods, and in South Dakota around Platte, because it changed my life in my, in my early 30s. And here I am in my mid-50s now, continuing to play that out, in, and as a direct result of you introducing me to those places. So thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast, having this conversation with me. And uh, you and I, I know, have many, many more conversations about great hunting memories in the future.
2: Can I add something?
0: Of course, please. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you and I have a mutual hunting friend who is more different from you than anyone else I know that you know mm-hmm. politically. <laughs> but you share the same faith. Yeah. And it was one of the great joys of my life uh, introducing you and watching the chemistry change over the years where you two became really close friends and you just find a way to either respectfully discuss the things that you find different or you don't even go there because the relationship is much more important than your views And that is the mercy of Christ. Mm. That is the gift that we all share. Mm. So um, some of the other guys that I never did get along with and wouldn't hunt with, you know, we never had that bond.
0: So yeah. 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 Well, you, you and can I did edit and that part if you yeah. want. No, no, that's beautiful. I appreciate it and I love you and I thank you. And uh I think people will be blessed by hopefully listening to it and yeah. if not I don't really care because this is a, this is a selfish pleasure for me to have my hunting mentor on here so thank you.
2: Well, I love you too, Tony, and Oh, one of my greatest regrets is that I can't hunt anymore. Yeah. Because if I could uh, I'd I'd be there every fall, you know I would.
0: I do. I do know so. it. All right, thanks Doug. Bye Dios. Bye bye.
2: You're welcome. Bye bye.